The podcast Under the Stairs will feature movie spoilers and language which most listeners will find offensive. to the podcast Under the Stairs. Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs episode number 40. I am your host Duncan McLeish and I, I sounded very Scottish saying that episode number 40. So there we go, episode number 40 on this show um, brings to the conclusion, the natural conclusion of the top 10 best and worst horror remakes as selected by myself. So we finally reached the coveted number one spot. Um, it has been a long, long road to here. Many excellent films have been viewed. Many awful films. Crimes Against Cinema have been viewed. Um, <laughs> and I thought, as a nice way to close out this segment, I would bring two um, former hosts during this section that we've been doing over the last nine weeks. So, it is my pleasure to bring back Mr. Bo Ransdell. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well, Duncan. How are you? I am doing fantastic. Thank you very much for coming on the show. And of course, I've also brought back my good buddy, um, Mr. Danny Triox. And how are you doing, Danny? I'm doing great. Good evening, Duncan. <laughs> We're all being very civilised. That's because we know things are about to hit the fan when we start talking about number one on our worst remakes list, which is The Wicker Man from 2006. Um, and then we will later on bring everything to its natural happy conclusion as we gush fountains of semen um, oh. all, <laughs> I know, graphic um, all over uh, 1982's The Thing so, um, at the beginning of every single show I like to ask my guests where people can check out the shows that they're on so, uh, Bo, you have quite a few shows um, I may be involved with one of those shows when I can remember what the name of it is um, <laughs> which <Yeah>. is... <laughs> You you get the Duncan and Bo right, and then after that, it's just all. Gibberish. I just picked I just picked two words, any two words, <laughs> right? Anything from you know the Queen's English, like, <laughs> so like Dun- Duncan and Bo Frog Splinter. It's like, it's like it's it's like that scene in The Usual Suspects when the guy realizes that um, Kevin Spacey's character's just been picking words off the wall. Mm-hmm. And just mention that's what I do. So um, uh, you you will find uh, Duncan uh, and Bo. On a podcast called Duncan and Bo, um, Lamppost Tree. Um, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a it's a great show. It comes out fortnightly. Um, but yeah, uh, if you'd like to tell the listeners where they can check out the shows that you're involved with and what you're doing on those shows currently. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I feel like I, I am now being quizzed, uh, <laughs> and I I don't test well. Um, so uh, there's Devour the Podcast. We're doing the Friday the Thirteenth. Uh, series right now um we I'm, i actually missed the the uh part three episode which is kind of fine by me um <laughs> what did you not like three i don't care for three much uh really? i think i think part two is actually superior in a lot of ways to the original friday the 13th 
Uh Uh, It seems a little more focused to me. Uh, Part three, I think it leans so heavily on the 3D stuff that I don't think the effects are very good. I don't think there's a likable character in the bunch. Uh, I I wanted to hear, you've kind of destroyed my dream of hearing you go off about Shelley. I I, I would pretty much resign myself to the fact that that was going to be the best of our podcast episode because you were going to go off about Shelley. I, you know, I don't know that there's that much to say besides he is an awful person to whom awful things should happen. And, you know, like if if the end of that character weren't that he is killed by Jason, but instead died of very aggressive testicular cancer, <laughs> I would think that was getting off easy for the kind <laughs> of irritating he is. <laughs> And and I know people said, well, you know, canonically, he he's the guy who supplies the mask to Jason. But let's let's think about that for two seconds. He's walking around in a goddamn scuba suit and a hockey mask <laughs> for no good reason. What the fuck did he pack? And like, I understand that he's like a makeup guy or whatever. But a scuba suit? At what point did you think I'm probably going to have to snorkel? <laughs> It's Camp Crystal Lake, you know? It's not Camp Crystal Atoll, where the crystal blue waters of the Caribbean surround you. It's, uh, fuck you, Shelly. So, yeah, so he's terrible. But but then I watched part four, and part four is uh, pretty amazing. Like, they're, oh, yeah. they're, that, that's a really, really good movie. Um, like, like, Friday the 13th aside, like, just as a horror film, part four works as a, as a good horror film. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, so we're doing that on Devour the Podcast. And then, uh, on Graveshift Radio, we have been doing Phantasm. Uh, oh. we are up to part four. We haven't done part four yet. Um, which is kind of fine by me. Um, <laughs> cause that's kind of a rough movie. Uh, as I recall, it's been a long time since I've seen it. So we're doing that one. Uh, Duncan and Bo come correct. Uh, we are, uh, continuing to uh to recommend films to one another duncan and i Mm -hmm. and and seeing who's right more often uh who who recommends the better movies and it's really been back and forth yeah Um, no one's no one's managed to get more than a one point lead over the other yeah and then the other person just rallies and comes back with with you know something that's real gangbusters and i you know i tease duncan that for a while, I, I felt like I was on kind of a winning streak and that he would need a new Ben Wheatley movie to come out to win. <laughs> and it it turns out that the Wiley Scott has more than Ben Wheatley movies in his bag of tricks. And uh, yeah, but that that's really fun because we get to talk about movies that aren't aren't, aren't movies that we typically talk about in, in a public space where it, they're not always horror movies, although we have done some. Mm-hmm. And uh, the next round... Uh, will be uh, documentaries. Yes, yes, I'm and, really looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah. So that's going to be really interesting because that can go go a lot of different places. Although uh, I do have my pick for you, Duncan. By the way, and um, I, I, as soon as you said we should do documentaries, I, I had a sneaky suspicion that you might be sitting on a a particularly good movie. So I I I was waffling between two, both of which I think are really good, and I settled on the one that will make you cry. So. <laughs> I I don't know. I didn't I didn't I didn't cry at my wedding or my father's funeral. So you've got yeah, so just putting that out there, Bo. I'm 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 a, I'm a tough room. I can say without exaggeration, 
this documentary is better than both of those put together. <laughs> and and lastly lastly uh i we we just launched the gaming portion of the legion network of podcast uh podcast i think those words work together yes um (laughs) so it's called schadenfreude gaming uh it is david anders and myself as well as a newcomer a guy named john dolan uh who is hilarious and uh, yeah, so we talk about gaming stuff, and and we're going to be doing some video streaming and things like that. So um, yeah, and you can find all of those things on uh, legionpodcasts.com, um, as well as subscribe on iTunes and and all that stuff. So yeah, you can find anything that I do, and I think everything except for Midnight Horror Show that you do, Duncan, is available there. Yeah, but Midnight Horror Show will appear there. Yes, they're they're backroom dealings, <laughs> even as we speak. They're well, yeah, the, the, uh, they are officially part of the. Just don't. Yeah, but it, <laughs> they they are members in name. Yes, but now there are there are people meeting in in rooms behind storefronts where chickens hang in the windows, <laughs> sorting out all the gruesome details. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it's, it's a deal forged in hell, and contracts signed that... in blood. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh my god. All right. Danny. Yes, sir. Right. So you I mean, yeah. people people know you are the host. Um uh, one uh, of the founding members of the Midnight Horror Show. That's the founding member? The founding member. Yeah. The last the last man standing. Um <laughs> and um if you would like to tell listeners where they can check that show out and at the same time what we've got roughly coming up because it's october it's october by the time this episode drops it's october and we are going to be doing a lot of fun content over on that show uh we are we we're doing the october episodes we started this long time ago there's been some fingers lost throughout october (laughs) Uh, unfortunately some hosts have been lost through october (laughs) and so we just hope we make it all the way through to halloween because uh, as one of our listeners pointed out, uh, last time we said we were going to do it, we did one episode, we disappeared, and when we came back, we were missing a host. So let's hope that nothing like that happens this time. <laughs> so yeah, it should be really cool. We just do uh, a lot of crazy shit. It's, it's basically a reason for us to drink every Wednesday night for the month of October and talk about cool Halloween shit. Um, but of course, you know, uh, some of you people know about that show. I'd like for people to check out my other show, which is uh, Danny's Lace and Space. <laughs> in science fiction novels. So left out that I don't have multiple shows, so I'm starting one right now. It's called Danny's Lace in Space. Oh Go. man, may I ask a question, please? See yes. if that podcast doesn't exist by next week. I am going to be gutted. I'm going to be absolutely distraught. Danny's Lace in Space is a new fucking black man. Honestly, I'm working on the logo right now. <laughs> yeah, right. Both, yes, sir. Uh, I, I just wanted to say, first of all, I really enjoyed uh, the Teddies and Rockets episode. Oh, I'm glad <laughs> someone listened to it. I listening. It's good you heard it. Yeah, well, it, not something naturally you would link, but after the end of the episode, I was like, oh, how could you have one without the other now? <laughs> that, that's what, that was my thought getting into it, you know, but that's, I'm glad yeah. to see Bozo. See, Bo's a really smart guy. He knows. He knows what's up. Oh, I, I was I was taking notes. 
Like, oh, yes, rocket propulsion and spaghetti straps are very similar in a lot of ways. It, it, that was a good discussion. I did enjoy that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I also think that show in particular uh, should feature uh, calls to various Victoria's Secret stores as done with a robot voice. Oh, <laughs> that's next episode, everyone. That That's what's coming up next on Danny's Least in Space. That's, uh, we're going to be calling Victoria's Secrets as robots. So next episode, check it out. It'll be yeah. out uh, sometime next. I need to turn on my lover. <laughs> Tell me, what is love? We should just do it right now. Someone go call Victoria's Secrets. <laughs> So uh, until until that podcast actually appears on someone's feed, Danny, how can people find the Midnight Horror Show? Uh, you can check us out. We are will be with uh, we will be with the Legion. We will be there sometime as soon as Mark gets on it. You know he's kind of lazy like that. He doesn't stay on top of things. But we'll get on him about it. Uh, you can also find us over at All Radio X every Wednesday night, um, live from seven to nine Eastern and. We'll stay there live because that's our excuse for why our show is shitty because we don't have time to write <laughs> stuff on it. <laughs> I'm sticking to it too. That's it. Done. But it Check is it. so funny. It is such a funny show. Oh, well, it thank really you. is. Thank yeah. you. It's because we've got the panty dropper on there now. He he helps out. Yeah, he is really like the thing that isn't like the others on that show. <laughs> And not in a bad way, but because, like, everyone else on the show is so very clearly American. And for a second, you'll kind of forget <laughs> that there's this, let's face it, comically exaggerated Scottish accent waiting around the corner <laughs> for you. <laughs> and then the next thing you know, it's just, you know, hi, hi, uh, which isn't, I understand, isn't Scottish, but... Jesus Christ. It's actually how we say hello to each other in the morning. Hi, Ted, hi. <laughs> how are you today? Hi, Ted, hi. Oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, dear. Yeah. I think the only reason that I'm on, I think the only reason they keep me on the Midnight Horror Show is so every now and again they can unify as Americans and throw hatred at their former masters. <laughs> we keep you on there because if we didn't, we'd be paying for no listeners. So we, we have to have you. You and Tina is what bring the listeners. Oh, my God. Oh, what a laugh, honestly. I, oh. You know, I I, I'm spent. I think we could just finish the show. <laughs> <laughs> Cue the outro music. <laughs> you know, Duncan's attack is just going to be War of 1812, anyone? God Aye, your White House burned right to the ground. <laughs> oh, shit. <sighs> oh, my face hurts already. That's not a good sign. <laughs> It's killing me. We've got to stop. Or stop. Yeah. We, we haven't even gotten to Wicker Man, y'all. Yeah, and I mean, that well, thing I'm... has fucking bees in it. Oh, oh. The, the bees! bees! The, not the bees! Bees! My eyes! Digital bees! The bees! And the bee beard. We've got the fucking... Oh, we got to get to that one. Digital beard. Right. Out. Well, you're jumping ahead here, guys. Come on. <laughs> sorry, I, I need, sorry. I, I need, what I have to ask you... And Bo, I think you've got a couple of interesting ones here. Um, what have you been watching recently in the world of horror? Does, does that mean I should say first? Yes. Definitely. Okay. <laughs> so uh, I, I've been continuing my my trek through the Hammer Dracula films and just got through Dracula Prince of Darkness, 
which oh. is the one that Christopher Lee won't speak in. Yes. <laughs> and and despite his, you know, very famous arm <laughs> arm distance from that movie, uh, I don't think it's terrible. It, it's not the best of those, but it's it's far from being just garbage. Yeah. Um, okay, so then I saw Oculus, which, by the way, I kind of love Oculus. I'm the same. I, I spoke about it months ago um, and said that... I thought it was of all the the kind of recent kind of influx of kind of haunted movies or haunted house or ghost movies. I thought it was one of the one of the more interesting. And it's got some flaws. It's got a couple of things that kind of like if you if you sit back and, and look at it with a completely critical eye, there is a couple of things which are maybe not necessarily great in it. But for the most part, I thought it was really solid. I thought it was a couple of really good scare things i think Mm -hmm. it's an incredibly clever film i think when they do the two different time periods kind of occupying the same the same space um i think that's and that's where the movie starts to really get quite interesting um and i think as a director he's i mean that's absentia and then oculus i mean that's yeah pretty much home runs back to back yeah now that guy and you know, somebody was was saying the other day, I, I can't believe Mike Flanagan is doing. Uh, I know what you did last summer. That was me. That was me. I was like, <laughs> why? Why are they giving them that? But um, on, I'm, on, I'm kind of curious to see what it does now. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think Oculus. You know, the the big glaring plot hole in that movie for me is why get that close to the mirror for Begensies? Yeah. You know, like you could just like even tracking down the mirror, which all this happens in the first 10 minutes. I'm not giving anything away. Um, Even tracking down the mirror. Why not just take it to a quarry and fire a bazooka at it like it's a grizzly (laughs) and done, done and done. But I I really like that movie. And, And there are there are two moments in that movie in particular that really gave me the the heebie jeebies. I don't know mm. if you have those in Scotland. Yes, we do. Yes. Okay. Do. Uh well, I had a, a rough case uh during <laughs> Oculus. Um so I enjoyed that quite a bit. And then I saw Honeymoon. Yes. Which I thought was was a, a perfectly solid movie. It it had the misfortune of coming on the heels of Oculus. Ah, right. And and I thought it started so promisingly that I, I wanted it to be as good as Oculus. And I, I, I God bless them, the performers, Rose Leslie from Game of Thrones, and I forget the uh, the lead actor's name, um, both uh, European in origin, and their accents slip a little bit here and there throughout the mm-hmm. movie, which is a little distracting. My biggest problem with Honeymoon is I felt like I was way ahead of that movie. Oh, yeah, I knew as soon as, as soon. I mean, if you watch a trailer, you know you know where that... I mean, going into that movie, I knew exactly how it was going to play out. Exactly. I mean, within the first 10 minutes, I pretty much had it all sussed. The the specifics of how it exactly ends were slightly different, although I could kind of see that coming as well. Um, I just thought, I mean, that is directed by a woman who has just... I think she's just graduated from New York Film School or whatever, and this is her first feature. Um, and I just thought that visually it looked it mm-hmm. looked really good visually. I thought the the casting was good, like you say. There are there are a bit of a bit of a fallouts in terms of the the actual accents. Um, but for the most part, I thought um, it's a very predictable movie. 
I just thought it was handled very well. I, I'd like the, yeah. I, I can't I can't say it's the most original thing I've ever seen because it's not. Um, there was a, a bit of of I love the fact that towards the end there is a bit of gore flung in there and it's pretty fucking graphic. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, now we're talking. Um, but yeah, for the, I just thought I. I I've been hearing a lot about it, a lot of buzz about it, um, and to sit down and watch it, especially knowing that it was like a, a debut film, I was expecting, you know, this could be pretty shitty. Um, and it's a completely solid horror movie. I think it's um, in terms of kind of, and I don't want, I can't use that word because I suppose it. Um, in terms of that specific subgenre of horror, um, it's it's not reinventing the wheel, but it's not really doing anything terribly wrong. So, um, and that's that's an easy one to fuck up. So, yeah, I thought it was all right. Yeah, I would recommend it with the caveat of when you're watching this movie, you're going to be way ahead of the characters in the movie. Mm-hmm. But it's it's confidently and competently done enough that it's worth the watch. And, and when I think of something like Almost Human mm-hmm. being almost good, uh, and, <laughs> and this movie is legitimately pretty good. Um, but up until this week, I was really struggling with the notion of, you know, we're getting close to end of year and top 10 lists and thing, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was nice to see something like Oculus come along and, and make a good case for, oh, there have been really good horror films this year. Because uh, mm-hmm. I, I feel like there's been a bit of a drought, not like last year. Last year, I feel it was an embarrassment of riches, but mm-hmm. um, not that there haven't been. It's just... I. Not as many, I don't feel. I just think there's there's been a lot of movies which are not necessarily fully horror movies, if you know what I mean. Something like, for example, I wouldn't necessarily class Under the Skin as a horror movie. It has horror elements, but I would say it's more it's more kind of science fiction drama to an extent than it is existential so, crisis. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's not necessarily a horror movie. There are a couple of elements in that movie that are full-blown horror, though. Um, that you know, and it's it's like one of my favorite films this year. It's like one of my favorite movies. Um, can I put it in a, a top ten horror movies list, though? And that's that's where a couple of these movies that I've really enjoyed. I really enjoyed Enemy. Enemy's not a horror movie. It has kind of elements. Maybe the end of the movie, <laughs> um, which would you could maybe say slip maybe towards horror, but for the most part, it's a thriller. So um, there's a lot of that this year. It's been it's been a really strange year. I thought um, coming off of last year, we would just continue pushing like, like churning out tons of horror movies. But um, I'm kind of with you. I'm I, on that that I've seen a few that I really liked this year, but. Nothing that's kind of set my world on fire. Yeah, if there wasn't yeah. like that big push of like the battery and Kiss of the Damned mm. and Maniac and you know just all these movies that were getting enough buzz that drew you to them, and when you saw them, you were like, "Oh, holy shit! That that's totally right." Yeah, and and I haven't had that reaction a lot of times this year, but but we're still right around the corner from shit like. Suburban Gothic and Babadook and things like that. So. Horns as well, yeah. I'm, I'm really yeah. actually the more I see the trailers and the spots for Horns, the more I really want to see that fucking movie. The more I'm really kind of getting behind it. And apparently, we are getting. Um, there's a movie called The Canal coming out that's got quite a bit of buzz about it as well. So I'm quite interested to see that. I think that's a British horror movie as well. 
but um, I saw the trailer and it looked pretty cool. So there, there is going to be a push towards the end of the year, but um, yeah, I'll be in, I'll be interesting. I'll be interesting. Let's put it that way. Danny, have you seen uh, anything in the last week or so, uh, horror wise? It's kind of caught your interest. No, no, no. I watched all my football and baseball and the kids, you know, the kids started their Halloween early. You know, they started watching, you know, Ernest Scared Stupid and the Halloween Tree, um, the animated one that they did a while back. Um, so they kind of said that. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, they, they they popped that in. They got a little bored with the shotgun shit. They wanted something more intense. So. <laughs> um, it's funny because, uh, you know, uh, I don't know if either one of you guys have played. Um, yeah, I think they've now put it out on iOS and uh, the droids and everything. That Five Nights at Freddy's. I remember you telling me about it. I, I quickly looked at it, but I haven't actually played it yet. Yeah, with the, the, you're, you're basically a security guard, and you're you know sitting in your booth, and these animatronics. It's like a Chuck E. Cheese. They like come to life at night, and you have to like strategically use your energy to shut the doors and use the lights to keep them from like ripping you to pieces, and. Um, uh, my daughter sits here and watches me play this game. And this game, I mean, it's, you know, it's got the jump scares like Outlast had. It, it's not in depth, oh. Outlast, but it's got the jump scares. So she's watching me play. And she's, you know, she's scared to go to Chuck E. Cheese. She's scared of, you know, the mouse. <laughs> she's watching this and she's fine with it. She's okay. We watch Ernest Scared Stupid. And now we have to check all of our little doors and nooks and crannies for trolls before she goes to sleep at night. I, I don't <laughs> understand my kids at all. It doesn't make sense to me. But, <laughs> That's what we spent our weekend doing, was watching kid horror. Well, I guess it's kid horror, I don't know. That's the worst ways to spend your weekend, I think. Um, I've not really watched that. I'll tell you what, I, I kind of, uh, here's a, a good old-fashioned Scottish word for you, I scunnered myself. Um, <laughs> scunnered, it means that you, you basically burn yourself out. Um, I scunnered myself watching Argento movies uh, for the round table, which is now up. The, the round table episode is now is now up for people to download. And I basically went through his entire back catalogue. However, I had saved to the night of recording, I had saved watching Dracula three D and <laughs> then I popped that popped that bad boy in right before I recorded that episode and dear God almighty. Um oh, right, believe the hype. That oh, is awful. Oh my god. I I just I don't I didn't think... I heard other people talk about it, and when other people were talking about it, I was like, no, fuck you. You're just you're just unnecessarily hating on Argento here because he's, you know, he's slightly cookie and he likes to see his daughter raped in film. Um, <laughs> so just kind of throwing some hate at him. And I was like, that, the cast looks interesting. I mean, you've got Rooker Hauer in there. I mean, that can't be that bad. And I sat and I watched it, and I will give the film... The credit in that I love the colours. I think mm -hmm. the colours in the movie, but that's never an issue with Argento. I thought the palette was was really quite cool. Um, that's about it. The rest of the movie is awful. It really, really is. Yeah. And that that whoever whoever greenlit that CGI needs fired, um, taken outside, pinned to a cross, using his fucking using rusty nails and then have his eyes pecked out by fucking crows and then someone to shit in his head and then smear it in his mouth and rip out his tongue and beat him to death with it because the cgi in that movie is as oh my god it makes asylum cgi look fucking competent <laughs> yeah and and rutger howard delivers his lines 
like he he's reading my soul watching that movie. <laughs> it is just the most apathetic. Like, oh, and then we'll shoot him. I guess I don't know. Let's. Yeah, he's he's, he's not there. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, he's not there. <laughs> yeah, it's it's terrible. It's an. And you know we talked about this on Devour, but how do you have a giant praying mantis? Which first of all should not be in the movie, but if you're going to have a giant praying mantis in a movie, how does it not? How does it not bite the head off of something? Yeah. Why does that not happen? Yeah, we were talking. We were talking about in the round table. Johnny Krug pointed out that every other creature that Dracula turns into is proportionally scaled. So if he turn, when he turns into the the owl, the owl is the size of an owl. When he turns into a wolf, the wolf is the size of a wolf. Turns into a praying mantis, and it's like the fucking biggest thing you've ever seen. It's like fucking the T Rex from Jurassic Park. Right. If the T Rex from if the T Rex from Jurassic Park had been animated through a fucking Nintendo. Uh, an NES, and that's the graphics used is fucking awful. There's better graphics in Duck Hunt. <laughs> yeah. fucking, oh my god, it's so fucking bad, really. It, but, it's like somebody had the weekend to learn After Effects. Yeah, you know? I, I, I think I think someone fucked up there like royally. But I, I mean, my theory, and people hear it when they check out the show, is my the- theory is that when Ar- Argento does what is considered to be some of his worst work, he follows up with some of his best. Like the movie after it tends to be amazing. So if you look at his version of Phantom of the Opera, which isn't very good, it's just boring and long. Um, he follows it up with Sleepless, and Sleepless is a fucking awesome Jalo film. Um, a lot of people don't like Inferno. I like Inferno. He follows it up with Tenebrae. So um, he released that romantic comedy in the 70s, which people didn't really like, and then followed it up with Deep Red. So, I mean... He has a tendency to, to to bounce back very well, and he's got a project going just now called Sandman, um, and all I know about it thus far is Iggy Pops in it, and I'm fine with that, I'm down with that, I, I kind of hope that it's a Jallo, because that's where the man shines, um, so fingers crossed, we'll wait and see, it comes out next year, so we'll see how it goes. So, but yeah, that's pretty much it. I have not watched a lot of horror movies at all. I revisited Motel Hill, but I think I talked about it on the previous show. And John Rhodes, you're wrong, sir. You're wrong. That movie is fucking awesome. Um, but yeah, out with that. That's that is about it. So, um, guys, I don't know about you, but I think it's time to take a short break. Um, and when we come back, we have one news story which could be quite interesting. It should spark up a lively discussion before we tackle our two movie reviews. So um, we're going to be right back after this break. The news. Ah, uh, welcome back to the news. So, one news story to chat about, guys. Um, this news story has just been dropped today. So, when you hear this podcast a couple of days ago, um, and it's quite exciting to me because it's something I've been looking forward to for quite a while since it was originally announced. But I can tell you now that Clive Barker's final Pinhead story, The Scarlet Gospels, has a release date. So, according to ShockToyDrop.com. It's the news many of us have been waiting for. A firm release date for the Scarlet Gospels. The novel that pits Harry Damore 
of the last illusion against the Cenobites. Clive Barker broke the news via his Facebook page that St. Martin's Press will release the tome on the 19th of May 2015. Um, uh, that's the jacket art you see to right. So if you go to Shock Toy you Drop, you will see the very bleak and kind of sparse cover art. Or was it kind of expensive for more? But ah, uh, who cares? Um, so <clears throat> per Barker's page, and bear with me here. Uh, it says um, Harry Demore, the hard-boiled paranormal detective from the movie Lord of Illusions, goes head to head with. The hell priest known as Pinhead, and he's put in brackets, and his first literary appearance since Hellbound Heart. A roller coaster of terror that explains who the Cenobites are, where they came from, and how their world comes to an end. The long awaited final chapter in the Hellraiser mythos. So, um, I'm. I've about soiled myself with excitement here. Um, I lo- anyone that knows me or has been listening to the show will know I'm a huge Barker fan. Um, I've read every book he's put out. Um, I don't necessarily think I've done every short story, although I've got all the volumes of the books of blood. If he's done things out with that, I've not I've not had a chance to read them yet. He um, is he's like one of my favourite authors. This is something that has been talked about. For absolutely ages, I think the best part of about five or six years, this this story's kind of been rumbling on. And with his work with Aberat and how much time he spends on that, um, I actually genuinely thought this was never going to come out. So I am incredibly excited about this. Um, so Danny, what what, what do you think? Uh, Scarlet Gospels, uh, Clive Barker, excited? There was a really, really small window of Clive Barker announcements that would make me happy that didn't happen to be. The mm-hmm. third book of the art, yeah, and this one did it. I this one works. I mean, I, there, like I said, you know, some other announcements I would have been like, eh, eh, eh. If it's not book of the art three, I don't want to hear it. But this one, that this pays off, and I, I think this is going to be fucking awesome. Mm. Wait for this. I, like you said, it, this is you know for uh, for people that read Clive Barker, this is just. Uh, what Freddy versus Jason did for for the mainstream, you know, that just kind of knows them as the iconic horror characters and kind of always batted around wanting to see them, f- you know, face off against each other. I, I think this is this is going to be just epic. Yeah, what about yourself, Bo? Um, I've I, I, ever asked you, are, are you a fan of Clyde Barker at all? I don't know if you've ever asked me. I am. You are. Right? Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. I think In the Hills, the Cities is one of the best short stories I've ever read. Amazing. Um, yeah, it's so weird. And, and like Clive Barker has one of those imaginations that doesn't seem to be constrained by anything. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that works to his benefit and sometimes not so much. But um, he's always interesting. Even if I don't care for the ultimate resolution of the stories, he's always a very good writer. I think the way maybe I, I described him once before, and this is me swiping somebody else way smarter than me, is that he seems like he's an author who's not always in full possession of his ability mm-hmm. in that he's extremely talented and kind of a genius, but sometimes that gets away from him. Mm-hmm. Um, but all that being said, that's just me saying, yes, I like Clive Barker, but I, I think sometimes he goes a bit too far. Uh, that being said... Uh, I can only hope this is a direct sequel to Hellraiser Revelations. <laughs> in which Harry Damore investigates the goings-on in, I don't know, somebody's house, whatever that was. 
You, you just thought like Harry Demore shows up and tries to realize why Pinhead's put on a few pounds. <laughs> right. He's, yeah. He's like, apparently hell is getting more than its share of Sara Lee cakes, um, <laughs> which makes sense, really. <laughs> I, I really, really do enjoy, uh, you know, Hellbound Heart, of course, is amazing. Hellraiser 1 and 2 are both, uh, you know, pretty tremendous horror films. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's even like part of the third one that's okay. But the and the <laughs> Harry Demore stuff, I, I mean, obviously, I uh, not to self-promote, um, but the Lazarus uh, stories that I've done aren't aren't really an investigator, but it is it is cut from that same cloth, you mm-hmm. know. Um, it is certainly inspired by Harry Demore only, you know, like, oh, well, I would do this with that character, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. But uh, but I love Harry Demore. I, I think that is, I, I love the idea of a gumshoe kind of character that deals with the paranormal. Always mm-hmm. have, you know, when I saw like Cast a Deadly Spell on HBO when I was a kid, I thought that was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, I like his take on it. The fact that you're putting those two things together, it, it doesn't feel like you're trying to cram two things into the same universe that don't belong. Like, you know, hey, what if Stormtroopers fought My Little Pony? Uh, which would be awesome and I would pay good yeah. money to see that movie but where they just go in and just wreak havoc on I don't know Brony Town I don't know what where My Little Pony lives Brony Town I, I think that's probably right um, but uh, yeah so I'm no this, it, it's awesome I mean like like Danny said it's sort of the higher class Freddy versus Jason Mm-hmm. You know, like a more literary version of two characters that I love being put together in, into the same setting. And yeah, I mean, if, if it's really him kind of putting a, 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 a bow on the sort of Hellraiser mythos or the, the Cenobite mythos and maybe even the Harry Damore character, I could see that being the end for both of those mm-hmm. uh, storylines. And Again, I'm kind of okay with it, and and at this point, you know, who Clive Barker can do whatever the fuck he wants. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he has established so much street cred at this point that yeah, I mean, if he if he was like, you know what, in this one, Pinhead, uh, not just openly gay, aggressively gay. <laughs> like th- this is going to end with him fucking Harry Damore, and it's it's not non consensual, you know. <laughs> And I would be like, fine, you you have totally earned the right to do whatever you want with these characters and I'll come along for the ride. <laughs> that, that's, so that, what you're saying is that if if Pinhead came out and said, I'll tear, I'll tear your hole apart, you'd be done with, you'd be done with that, Embo. Yeah, oh, absolutely, especially if he said that. <laughs> oh, fucking right, like, you know, there are piercings down here too, Harry. <laughs> Oh shit! <laughs> oh, I takes it takes the term pinhead to a different level. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I am Prince of Hell. Now let me show you Prince Albert. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I actually I can't wait for this book to come out. I really can't. Oh, not not because Bo's given me ideas <laughs> of what might be in it, but I know um, it's sexy though, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like like you said, I mean. 
Barker to me when Barker's like completely on form I think he's almost untouchable it's especially his horror fiction um, I still think there's a, a ton of his stuff out there which I would love to see adapted in some capacity um, as long as the special effects guy wasn't the one that did uh, the blood on Midnight Meat Train um, <laughs> but uh, yeah I know um, that was a thing um, but yeah I, I, I've kind of want to I mean Let's put it this way, Pinhead only ever appeared in one of his books and I think he's and the fact that the the blurb there says that it, you know it brings to an end that character or that chapter. I think it kinda stands true to what I have read in quite a lot of articles that Clive Barker really is over pin uh, well he's over Hellraiser. He's like doesn't want to talk about it anymore. Doesn't really want to be involved with it. It went off and did its thing. He's not necessarily happy with where it ended up, and I know his name was linked to the potential remake um, for a while there, and it looked like it was going to happen, but I've not heard anything about that since, that if he's putting this book out as a way to say, right, that closes the chapter, let's not talk about this anymore, I'm, I'll be sad about it, but at the same time, I'm looking forward to it, the two characters themselves are highly fascinating, um, like yourself, I loved Lord of Illusions, eh? And the movie wasn't bad as well, um, so I, you know, I'm really looking forward to this. So when it finally arrives, um, or if there's more updated news, you can check out the podcast under the stairs, and I'll tell you all about it. Um, the best way to do that is on the Facebook page. So if you aren't a member of my Facebook page yet, all you have to do is type in at the top search bar "podcast under the stairs" come across to close group. I will add you and accept you with a a slap in the face because what what's taking you so long to find the page i don't know guys <laughs> dropping the ball uh ball dropping motherfuckers anyway so we're going to take a very short break um i feel that we've i feel that spirits are high at the moment um i don't know if that <laughs> if that will remain the case um after after the break so uh you're going to hear some promos and then the trailer for the 2006 Remake of The Wicker Man is number one on my worst horror remake of all time list. And we will tell you why it made that spot right after this. Do you like movie reviews that are insightful, thought-provoking, and delivered by somebody who's trained to critically dissect every aspect of a motion picture without ever having to use obscenities? Then you've got the wrong show. Kruger Nation Horror Podcast is ready to feed your slasher movie and exploitation needs. There'll be more blood, expletives, and titties than you can shake your grandma's beetle flaps at. Visit www.krugernation.com My name is X. And I'm Cootie. Please consider us your high priest and priestess of satanic cinema. Join us on our podcast, Kiss the Goat, which will drag your soul through some of the finest and worst devil movies of the last 50 years. Devils and demons, exorcisms and possessions, cults and rituals, dogs and cats living together. Is that a devil movie? Maybe. Sort of. I don't know, babe. We'll talk about it later. Join us on the Horrorphilia Podcast Network every other week as we don our hoods and cloaks and kiss kiss the the goat. It's a hell of a good time. I knew you were going to say that. Of course you did. It's in the script. Edward, I need your help. I have a daughter. 
She has been missing for two weeks now. I fear she is endangered. So now I turn to you. Welcome. My little girl is still here. If she's here, I'll find her. Rowan? Rowan? Do you know her? I don't recognize this child. Be careful and believe nothing that you see or hear. If she existed, we would know of her. Whose desk is this, hmm? Ruin! How'd she die? She'll burn to death. What'd you just say? She burned to death. Hey. We're all preparing. For what? Celebration? Oh, yes. Something bad is about to happen. I can feel it. And let us begin. Summer's Isle! Oh, God. Oh, my God! Wicker Man's Wicker Man's Return. And welcome back. So you've just heard the trailer for the 2006 remake of The Wicker Man. Before we start talking about this heaping pile of shit, um, let's briefly remind ourselves of a better time. Um, I'd like to cast your memory back to the year 1973. Um, oh, what a year it was. Now, director Robin Hardy... Um, working off a screenplay written by Anthony Schaefer, um, creates a, a small 88-minute movie, which he will argue to this day is not a horror movie. Um, and I can kind of see where he's coming from, but this movie changed my life, really. Um, it was the, the first time I'd ever seen a kind of fuck-you ending on the level of this um and it still remains one of um, my favorite cult movies from the uk um it starred edward woodward uh, christopher lee and there was a lot of other people including ingrid pitt but um the synopsis for the original movie was a police sergeant is sent to a scottish island village in search of a missing girl whom the Thames folk claim never existed. Stranger still are the rites that take place there. So, um, uh, well, I've just already told you that this movie pretty much formed quite a lot of my interest in the genre. Um, I know that both uh, Bo and Danny have seen the original Wicker Man. So we're not going to spend too much time talking about it. Um, so we'll just kind of touch on... What your take on it actually is? I know Bo spoke about it within the last year on Devour, so we'll start with you, Bo. The Wicker Man. What, what you know? What's your opinion? Um, I, I mean, it's really, really good. Uh, that I, I think maybe that is a movie that lands better with people from the UK, right? Uh, in a, in a, but well, in for pretty obvious reasons, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but. I, I don't think it like it's not my favorite movie, but I also recognize it to be a really great movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, like there are other movies I would prefer to watch. And I'm just I only couch my comments about the original Wicker Man just to say that it's not a sacred cow for me. Yeah. Like the idea of remaking it is not the craziest idea I've ever heard. Although it's such a specific movie about 
like the changing culture in, in England at the time and the, the old guard versus the new and mm-hmm. these old traditions and blah, blah, blah. So I, I think it is a brilliantly done, brilliantly executed examination of social conflict. Mm-hmm. And and the ending is amazing. It is a phenomenal ending. Um, Edward Woodward yeah. uh, is incredible in it. He is so, so good in that movie. And Christopher Lee is amazing. And yeah, it's it, it's a great movie. I'll leave it at that. It's, it's a really great movie. Danny, uh, The Wicker Man? What do you I, think? I'm pretty much on the same page as Bo here. You know, it's not something that I usually list in my top lists, but, you know, I, I do recognize, like, you know, it, it, it set the groundwork for a lot of films to come with that, you know, just the way it does that slow, nice build of, like, the tension to that nice, memorable ending. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just the, the throwback to all the ancestral stuff on the – I mean, it's just – it sets up this nice, mystery, mysterious feel to it. Um, I love the, you know, just just the whole feel of the movie is really cool. Now, I, I wouldn't uh, – just like Bo said, I wouldn't sit around and, and grab this movie over this one necessarily to watch on a random Saturday, but – um you know, I I do think that uh, you know, it, it holds its own. What forty? Was it forty years later now? Yeah, forty. Hold on, I was born the year Wicker Man came out, so <laughs> it will be forty-one. Yeah, one there. All right, so four. Yeah, so it, it definitely. I, I think it holds up, and it you know the ending. I mean, who's you know the ending was great. Yeah, and all the uh, to be fair, the the uh, folk songs being sung in the film kind of wears me out a little. That, yeah. that's really my biggest complaint with the movie is that. After the first one, I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. It's traditional village and that sort of thing. And by the time the third one starts up, I'm like, all right, Robin Hardy. I think we all understand here that, yes, they had their folk. Yeah, I get it. I get it. This is very counterculture and return to nature. Knock it off. Yeah, I, I, I can. Yeah, I can see that. I, I mean, I, like I say, it's, it's a movie that I saw a completely impressionable age um, that it, sh- it shocked me actually, and not not what was happening during the movie. The ending shocked me. I just I never in a million years, and I don't know why. If if I'd been slightly smarter when I watched it, I would have realised that any movie called The Wicker Man, um, there may be some sort of twist coming. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I didn't pick up on that. Uh, and I've said to this day that every time I watch that movie, um, when the camera pans off to the horizon, I expect a police helicopter or someone to save poor Edward Woodward. Even though, to be <laughs> honest with you, he, you know, there are there are cases that can be made that he is maybe the antagonist of the movie as opposed to um, one of the, the king guys because he's basically preaching something um, to, to a group of people that are, are kind of finding their own way um but yeah i i I mean i do and i'm i would agree with you as well but this movie to me as much as i I, the music does wear wear you then i only watch it every couple of years because of that um but the this was not when it was announced that this was being remade i was actually really excited I, i was like yes this is exactly what we need a remake of the wicker man because all the shit you can do the directions you could take this story um this could be really interesting. That you know, I mean, it wasn't sacred to me to the point that, you know, I, I threw my keyboard across the room saying, "How dare you touch this movie?" Um, so yeah. Well, and to to your point about the uh, the character that Edward Woodward plays in the film, 
just to inform our conversation of the remake a bit more, is that his character, although presented as the protagonist, you see when he kind of butts heads with with the values of, you know, the the people on this island, that you kind of root for them too because they're very hippy dippy and all about free love and you know earth magic and and that kind of shit. Mm-hmm. But it it also seems like a very appealing way to live, based on what you see in the town. And he's this you know prim and proper British officer who's. Mm-hmm upset about seeing nudity and all these people singing body songs and things like that, that appeal to me personally, because I'm like, Hey, nakedness and, and singing about dicks. That sounds great. <laughs> so when Edward Woodward opposes that, even though I'm following him as the protagonist, I also recognize that he is very much at odds with what I would consider to be a hero. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, Bo and Danny, we jump ahead um, quite a few years and we get a remake and uh, it was directed by Neil Labute um, and he worked on the screenplay, you know, which was written by uh, originally Anthony Schaefer. Um, this movie <clears throat> stars uh, Nicolas Cage. Oh, no. <laughs> Nicholas Cage. I remember when I heard that. I remember when I actually heard the news come out that Cage was who they'd picked to, to play Woodward. And once again, I wasn't... At the time, I wasn't like, this is an outrage. I was like, right. I mean, Cage has performances in certain movies which I'm like, this guy can act. He's eccentric and quirky enough that given the right sort of character, this could be quite interesting. So I wasn't completely completely against it and uh, movie also stars ellen bernstein kate Beanhan, Bean behan behan that'll work uh, francis conroy molly parker um oh, there's a lot of chicks in this movie <laughs> right so uh, the synopsis is a sheriff investigating the disappearance of a young girl from a small island discovers there's a larger mystery to solve among the island's secretive neo-pagan community so, this movie is noticeably longer. Um, oh boy, I, is it! Yeah, uh, a full twenty-two minutes longer than uh, the the original, um, and it just feels like it's about double the length when you watch it. Um, so, uh, right, best way to do this. Um, Right, I'll kick us off, actually. I'll just kick us off, because I, I want to talk about this. So, I have briefly spoken about this movie before, um, on one of the previous episodes, where we actually discussed the original Wicker Man, uh, David Anders Jr. from Devour was on, and he said, maybe we should discuss the remake. And um, I kind of kind of had a little jab at it, and I knew that one day I would have to come back and talk about it more. I knew one day I would have to watch this movie again. I hadn't realised it was going to be as soon, but, um, right, the reason this movie made my worst horror remake of all time is because I think this movie does no justice on any single level to the original Wicker Man. I think it, it, it is an exercise in ineptitude um, that every single aspect of this movie is just... Awful. I, I 
don't know how someone can fuck up something so entirely. Um, I, and I mean, there is there's obvious casting issues. Nicholas Cage is being what we now class as crazy Nicholas Cage, which is every performance that came after Conier, um, <laughs> or The Rock, um, where he is just. I, I mean, at some point, someone someone must have watched him running around kicking and punching women, um, dressed as a as a bear. Um, and you know, someone surely someone thought this this is this is not in keeping with the tone of this movie. Um, it's got the let's put the first thing out here, like the the first the big thing that pisses me off. And this is how, if I'm focusing on this level of minutia, this is how you know it's a bad fucking movie. Nicholas Cage arrives at an island, right? He arrives at an island which has no cell reception at all, right? Can't get any cell reception, but has a fucking website. How the fuck? How the fuck does Ireland have a website, but they don't have any fucking phone lines or anything like that? I mean, that right off the fucking... See, if you're giving me that shit, that shit just pisses me off right there. Um, he's... he's uh, the original movie is based on the principle, like Bo was saying, about the, the old guard and the new guard, the collision, the, the kind of... Almost two kind of schools of thought. I mean, it it, it purposely comes in at the the kind of early seventies. So we've just come through the, the the age of Aquarius and free love and all that hippie shit. Um, that I mean, it was, there was kind of change of things and there was a movement towards a, a different understand i mean even by then catholicism and things like that were were on the decrease especially in the uk um that i mean the the, the movie had something to st- all good horror movies should have at some level on some level a point and that yeah. was the point of that movie there is no point to this movie at all we have a weird creepy island of women who i, I mean I don't know what their deal is, and I really don't know what their deal is, and the movie doesn't even begin to try. It shouldn't need to explain it to you, but a wee bit of help would have been great. Um, and oh, the ceremonies have all changed, and I mean, it's set on an American island, um, you know, just off the coast of America, because you guys have got loads of them. I mean... That doesn't. That I mean. That straight away doesn't make any fucking sense. It's one of those small islands that I, I like to call those small small islands that you know circle America. Other countries. Yeah. Um, that's you know. I that's mean, what we call them too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, that I, I'm. I'm like, uh, I, right. It's a. It's a. It's a new remake. It's a Hollywood remake. Bo, do you know uh, what the director? What other work he's done? First movie is. A, a super low budget movie called In the Company of Men, mm-hmm. which uh, was, I believe, also the first role for Aaron Eckhart. Oh, right. And if you've never seen it, In the Company of Men is the story of Aaron Eckhart, who's a bit of a player, and his buddy, who are consultants who have come to a business to uh, basically do uh, a little bit of tightening up. You know, they kind of fire people and efficiency expert kind of stuff. And there is a deaf secretary that they're both at least attracted to on some level. And so they basically set about to get her to fall in love with one of them just to break up with her as as a way to get back at women everywhere. And it 
and it's sort of this audacious kind of movie that has a really good ending and it's really interesting and all that stuff. Cut to The Wicker Man. <laughs> and you realize that uh, not just, I mean, Neil LeBute did stuff in between this, but all of it points to the idea that Neil LeBute may be just a touch of a misogynist. <laughs> And if you look at it, the remake of The Wicker Man is really a story about a good guy cop who goes to this remote island to help out his ex-fiance only to be trapped by the notion of having a child he did not know about and then murdered by a bunch of powerful women. <laughs> Which is just Neil LeBute, in my mind, saying... Are you people not paying attention? Women are evil. They okay. will they, <laughs> yeah. they they will get pregnant on you. They if they had half a chance, half a chance, they would cut out your tongue and make you put logs in carts. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you, you, I can imagine him showing up to set wearing these t-shirt that says "bitches be crazy." <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know you're right. There are plenty of casting issues. You don't need Nicolas Cage wandering around a movie like I'm looking for a little girl. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> or when he when he tries to commandeer the bike. Oh, you know, god. oh my god! You know, oh that you know, it's things like that. That's what I mean. It's things like that in the movie that are tonally awkward. I mean, yeah, well, you know what I mean? It's not a comedy. The movie's not a comedy. However, if if you see snapshots, in fact, you can see the snapshots, type in Nicolas Cage, um, Wicker Man, Best Of, on YouTube, and when you see these clips taken out of context of the movie, I mean, even when you see them in context of the movie, the, it's comedic timing, it's bizarre comedic lines, and it, it just tonally doesn't marry with the case of a detective, like you say, going to a, a, an island which he doesn't understand, which is occupied by people he doesn't understand, uh, in search of a missing girl. Which, and, you know, that's uh, the core of the story. That's that is the core of the story, and um, what they surround it with, with what can only be described as a hot mess um, <laughs> of of nonsense. Yeah, there are so many moments where. You're, you're wondering why, like, as soon as he realizes someone has been killed, mm. why are you not immediately getting on that plane and paddling back to shore if you have to, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. To, to, to call in some reinforcements? You're one dude on an island full of women who, if they were, you know, had passed menopause, would be able to twirl a mustache <laughs> because that's all the women do in this movie is just, you know. Welcome to Summer's Isle. <laughs> and, you know, it's just, it's so obnoxious how villainous these characters are. And it's such a stark contrast to the original where this cult on on the island is, is sort of sympathetic. Like, you can kind of get behind their belief system mm -hmm. to a point. And, and certainly all their talk of dicks, that's funny. And, <laughs> and this one... They're just, they're just like, uh -huh. oh, another man has come to our island. Well, welcome to my parlor, said the spider to the fly. Yeah. And, and all right, so there's that problem. There are a, a ton of little problems, like when he's running around all the uh, the apiary, is that what it's called, with the bees? Yeah. Uh, the, the field with all the, the beehives. 
Um, and he's running straight at him every time. It's like there are these big wide spaces in between them. <laughs> Nicholas Cage, you know. <laughs> I ran toward the bright thing. Um, <laughs> and like when he steals the bike from uh, Molly Parker. And commandeers, then, commandeers, bull. Commandeers a bike. And then two scenes later, he's running through the town. And you're like, why didn't you keep the bike? You you went to all this trouble to commandeer it. And and I I just think this movie is so it, it doesn't pay attention to its own details. I think it's very mean spirited. Mm. Uh I think it, its depiction of women is Awful. laughably stereotypical yeah as as really really but i mean this movie <laughs> this movie sets back the feminist movement about a, a century and really yeah. really fucking does and ellen burston you know is an amazing actress oh and another thing that can go fuck itself i'm sorry danny i'm st- <laughs> I'm, I'm stepping all over you. Oh, I i'm enjoying the shit out of this um another thing that can go fuck itself is when ellen burston is talking about like oh well i'm i'm sort of the center of the hive and it's like okay bees i get it and (laughs) then you see her in her chamber that is all orange and white and there's the hexagon above the bed like a honeycomb and it's like neil labute you've got to knock it off like (laughs) i get your bee imagery you don't have to show me the woman covered in bees in the room i get it i'm not a dummy and you're just making yourself look stupid And I, yeah, they're like all that stuff is so dumb. Like this, when they uh, start talking about killing the drone and all that stuff, it's like if you're going to pick something to be afraid of in a movie, this is only slightly more frightening than the happening where the enemy is trees (laughs) and gentle breezes. (laughs) Yeah, if you're going to pick something to be afraid of in this movie, you have it in the fucking title. You know what I mean? The yeah. the thing to be afraid of in this movie is the Wicker Man. That is what it is. And you shouldn't... It, all the nonsense to do with the bees is just... It's distracting. It is, and we're talking about poor CGI. right? Me and Danny have had this conversation recently on, a, on one of the episodes of the Midnight Horror Show where we were talking about low-budget horror. And we said in low-budget horror that there should be there should be a rule book somewhere that basically says to people when looking at a script, if it says cut to this scene or do this in the scene and you look at your budget and your budget can't afford it, don't put it in your movie. Whoever signed off on the digital bees, right? Whoever <laughs> whoever signed that document that said yes, we will have some digital bees, and then I mean it, it'll, they look horrendous. They really look as beyond fake. It's just like. It, it's so obnoxiously, fucking, ridiculously, poorly put together that once again, you, this is this is one of their new iconic scenes in here because, I mean, surely not just dragon, Edward Woodward is dragged towards the Wicker Man. That's not terrifying enough. Knowing he's going to get burnt, burnt alive. No, in this movie, we need to put our basket on top of him and put bees in there, and the bees will sting him. Um, what the fuck? What the fuck? Right, you're building your whole movie around the notion that he's got this bee allergy, which I guess they kind of explain away with, well, you were selected by, you know, the this fiancé that ran away, and this has all been one big scheme, which is stupid. Hmm. But, because that's way too much planning for anything. 
uh, short of being involved with nuclear weapons development, <laughs> there should not be this much planning to get a detective. But, like, are they also responsible for the station wagon? Because obviously the police, the police woman, the, the other woman of power in the movie, because God forbid there should be a woman in this film that's not <laughs> in on it. <laughs> Because they all are, Duncan and Danny. You know that. Women are all one big cult. Um, just. Yeah. And, and, and the fact that Neil LeBute did not call cut on Nicolas Cage when he's going off on the B tangent, like when they put the hood on him. And, like, that's the take that they went with. And you can only imagine that what ended up on the cutting room floor is fucking gold oh yeah that needs to be somewhere just like him just going be mad you know yeah. abs- absolutely you know like, they're in my eyes oh my god they're in my ears i hear the bees i hear nothing but bees they're stinging my bees they're right. my bees oh on my tongue too oh bees <sighs> oh shit you know it really it really i mean it's Oh, I don't really. And this was not. I, I just want to do some uh, clarification here before we turn it over to Danny. Um, this, on uh, my original draft of the top ten list, this was not number one. This was number three, and number one was the haunting, because I remember seeing the haunting and just being so fucking so distraught with humanity um, after watching that movie thinking there is no god there is only evil and evil will kill us all and consume us in the form of the haunting remake because um, it is a bad fucking movie and Bo oh. came on to talk about that movie with me um, just two episodes ago but I mean I revisited it I sat and I watched it and yeah there's a lot fucking wrong with that movie and then and then what I came to the conclusion about was yeah there is a lot wrong with that movie and it is a fucking bad movie and all the rest right but I mean yeah it's, it's what happens when you give an action director a horror movie to make they just don't know how to do it they like we spoke they don't have time they don't know the timing they don't know the structures and all the rest they just can't put it together and that's what you get in that movie I don't know how inept you would have to be as a filmmaker to make this movie, to make yeah. the Wicker Man remake. I don't, I don't know how. I mean, they obviously got their guy um, because he's the. It's just it's it doesn't work on any. It works on zero levels. It works, on, and then when we finally get that final climactic, you you know you shall be burned at the Wicker Man. The, the bit that you've been waiting for the bit because anyone walking out of this movie knew what the ending of this movie is. This this is the one of the most iconic... I mean, this is right up there beside Jack Nicholson shoving his head through a door and saying, here's Johnny. Everyone knows the end to The Wicker Man, right? Everyone knows that. So, what what the, the guy's obviously done is he's like that, right? This is a centrepiece. Everyone knows it's not going to shock people. So, we'll put him through some sort of trial by bees beforehand, um, leading them up to the Wicker Man. We'll put him through all these, these horrible scenarios and then finally he will be burned. So, what should be the most iconic moment of the movie falls flat. It falls flat. It has no impact. There's no gravitas. When that sequence happens and the camera, you know, kind of pans out, I'm not wanting the police to come and save Nicolas Cage. That motherfucker can burn. Burn, you motherfucker. Right? In fact, I, I, I want to be standing there with a fucking stick with a marshmallow on it, toasting that motherfucker off Nicolas Cage. I hate this fucking movie. Danny, Danny, before I, I say something 
mildly offensive that might lose me a listener or two. Um, come in here. I mean, when did you see this remake? Uh, well, I watched it because of your list. Oh, is this the first time you've seen it? Uh, yes. <laughs> Sorry, did. <laughs> I'm going to go back and probably rewatch it again and again and again and again. Is this movie... It's this, and it's it's so horrible. It it definitely belongs. I know you you were talking about teeter tottering between this and the haunting at the top of your list, but you you hit it right with this one, because your list kind of works like my sports team do. Okay, we start losing a little, I'm pissed. We start losing a lot, you know, I'm I'm getting upset now. We're getting blown out of the water. There's no chance of a comeback. I, I start to laugh, and I'm enjoying it at this point. I just what else can go wrong? You've gone crazy, and that's what this movie does to me. It's so fucking bad that I find myself loving all these horrible lines. I want to go get me a t-shirt that says, you know, killing me won't bring back your goddamn honey. I want that right on a fucking t-shirt with fucking Nicolas Cage screaming it in that awkwardly way that he's running around this movie. He's going, you motherfuckers are liars. She's in your classroom and I'm going to get you all arrested. And he's running. I mean, he's saying the most ape shit things. He goes Ray Rice on a bitch in this movie while wearing a fucking bear costume. I'm oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> knocks her the fuck out he says bitches you bitches i mean he's it's crazy this is like the ray this is not the wicker man this is the ray rice man it is just <laughs> he's insane he's crazy this is my favorite nicholas cage movie and i can see why everyone's career probably went I, they've got poor ellen ellen you're 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 better than that you look like braveheart what are you doing running around in this fucking movie what is going on in this shit i don't i i don't get it it's horrible. This movie's yeah. horrible, and I want to watch it again and again. It, it's <laughs> it's like if the movie Invasion of the Bee Girls were injected with I don't know what makes you stupid. Um, maybe just a lot of bourbon. Yeah. And and somebody tells you the story of the Wicker Man, having seen half of that, the the first half of the the original Wicker Man, and somehow thought the end of Invasion of the Bee Girls was part of the original Wicker Man and then got loaded and told you the story of that movie, it would that's, be the remake. That, that's <laughs> it. That's exactly what it is. And this, I, I can't view this as a remake. I can't. I, we, I just need to call it the Bee Movie or Nicolas Cage and the Bees or like Aquila and the Bee. It's Nicolas Cage and the Bee. I can yeah. call it. I just don't refer to it as the Wicker Man. This is, I mean, it's not even... Yeah, it, other, it doesn't have anything to do with it. It's completely ass backwards. It doesn't build to anything. Like that's what made the original what the original is. It, it builds to that. It, it doesn't build mm. to shit in this movie. The, it's overacted. There's parts that Nicolas Cage is looking up, and you can tell he's thinking in his head. He's like, I, "This is it. This is where it all ends for me." Like what? What is happening? <laughs> I, I'm sure when he's like, you know, he's asking that one chick, you know, what's your name or whatever. She's like Rose. And he's like, "Of course, another plant." Dude, when you said that line, did you – I mean, I would take a shower and cry at the fetal position that I am a professional actor and just said that stupid-ass line in a movie, in a movie that people are going to see in theaters across everywhere. I'm sorry. Yeah. I would have walked off the set. I would have been like, dude, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. I'm out of here. And I don't well, walk but he's a producer set. on the movie. He's an yeah. idiot. Didn't he also name yeah. his <laughs> or some shit? I mean, come yeah, on. Yeah, Kal-El. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're not saying this guy's super fucking intelligent here. What? 
Oh, but it's so. He married, he, did he not marry Elvis's daughter purely because he's an Elvis fanatic, and she divorced him purely because he's an Elvis fanatic? <laughs> right. The chick that married um like Michael Jackson or something is that the yeah. chick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I don't yeah. think that you can say anything that you've had yeah, the, the, second. The, Come on. Yeah, yeah. No, there, there you go. There you've got to wonder. That, I mean, because she divorced Nick Cage, so I mean, she was with Michael Jackson first, and I bet she thought, "Well, I'm not going to meet anyone as eccentric as crazy as that." Here's Nick Cage. We'll get married. What's the worst that could happen? Cue the Doctor Pepper. Yeah. Um, it's just like honestly, uh, the, the thing about this movie, and yeah, I, I, I can see what you're saying about the, the you want to watch it because it's so awful. Dude, just watch the YouTube thing. Don't watch. Don't subject yeah, right. yourself the whole video. Watch. Just. But- just yeah, clips. just like, just the clips because that, I mean that's the, that's where the only thing that could be described as entertainment comes from. Um, I think I genuinely think the director had this idea that Nick Cage could be some sort of Jim Carrey. Uh, you know how Jim Carrey, like the director, would just say, "Right, you need to get from A to B, be Jim Carrey," um, and he does. He he's does. like fucking. Yeah, yeah. I think they thought the same thing would happen with Nick Cage, and that's what happened in this movie. Um, he's just. He just tonally doesn't fit the premise or idea of the Wicker Man. Um, the, what this movie is missing completely is a character that is like Christopher Lee. Christopher Lee's character, Lord Somerville, uh, Somerville sorry, um, is he is he is a likable, roguish sort of character. You know what I mean? It really is. I mean. It, it, for the most part, you know, when you watch that movie, you kind of like him as a character. I mean, even though at the end he does something fairly despicable, um, he's a likable character, and that's what works in that movie. Um, that's what kind of draws you into, I don't quite know what's happening here. He seems all right, but he's quite suspicious. I don't know. As soon as you land on the island of bees, you know that something's wrong, and every single woman can't be trusted. Every single woman can't be trusted. I mean, there's no attempt to try and build any sort of suspense or mystery here. It's just, women can't be trusted, you're all liars, I'll find out where the girl is, you know, and be damned. I'll tell you right now, see if I had an allergy, a fatal allergy to bees, and I was sent to an island which had bees, I'd be on the boat back. I'd be like, sorry, <laughs> what, sorry, my, my daughter that I didn't know existed, someone else can deal with that. I mean, see you I, later. Sure, I'm um, on the boat. I wouldn't be fucking... Yeah, or, I wouldn't be fucking there. Or I've just accumulated enough evidence to show that there is something really fucked up going on on this island, and maybe me, the guy with the bee allergy, shouldn't be the only person of authority <laughs> here to investigate it. Ex- yeah, exactly. And, uh, and why so... are there two Molly Parkers in the movie? And like, there are so many decisions <laughs> made that are just head scratching. And so it, it's the perfect storm of a bad script that doesn't pay attention to the, the details, aside from the fact that it's misogynistic and, and hateful, poor, poor casting, an awful performance from Nicolas Cage, or not even awful, a just batshit performance from Nicolas mm-hmm. Cage. And, you know, how do you make this movie good at that point? It's just you're you're done. You've already broken it. And it and the only point of the movie seems to be, as Danny suggested, is you know, bitches be crazy. I, it, <laughs> I mean, that's it's the only it's 
it, you can chalk this up with setting down and partying like a motherfucker and running this in the background right with House of the Dead. I mean, they can run in the background while you make fun of it. It's nothing that you should intelligently waste any brain power on watching at all. Right. Ugh. You don't you don't pop the popcorn for this movie. No. You don't like like <laughs> I'm going to kick back in the the lazy boy. This is, I'm going to settle in. This is going to be a great watch. No, no, no. It's background completely. Yeah, Something it's it takes it's all your brain power to pay attention to. So this is just kind of right. I can, I can totally get behind the idea of having some friends over, having having a few beers and watching this movie half ass as you're talking about other things and then just pausing to be like, oh, my God, did he just high kick Lily <laughs> Sobieski in a bear suit? Wow, that seems totally out of line for anything that should be shown in a movie. It's so horrible. <laughs> it's horrible. I, this movie is just... Can we have a burning for this thing or something? Can we just get rid of it? <laughs> it's horrible. Just, I just need one copy to keep, but everyone else, we should just destroy all the other copies. <laughs> or Yeah, I mean, it's the kind of movie that should be shown at every film school just to say, like, Please, if anyone in this room can explain this movie in a satisfying way, you get an automatic A and you don't have to take any classes because we know that can't be done. It's possible. <laughs> right. It, it's sort of the like the string theorem equation on the board in the physics class where like <laughs> we've had our best people working on this for decades and we're no closer to an answer. So, yeah, explain the Wicker Man in in a unified way like why why are there bees why are there people dressing like bees why are their homes you know designed architecturally to emulate a beehive <laughs> i mean the whole thing like this bees. unless it's just <laughs> nicholas cage's character's fever dream after being stung by a bee <laughs> probably what it is there's right, no like this whole thing takes place in his mind, and he's real pissed off about his fiance leaving him, and he's allergic to bees, and all that turns into this bee misogyny story. <laughs> that, uh, then I could buy it if that was the case, but I don't have. I don't think that's the case. I think he really tried for this one. Yeah, I agree. I agree, and that's what makes it so. There's still no effort. I don't care. It's horrible. Yeah, it's it's it fails on every level. It doesn't have a point, or at least. Not a point that isn't bitches be crazy, which <laughs> given the fact that this movie was made in the latter half of the 20th century. Uh, well, no, this is post this is post 2000, right? Is it 03? Yeah, uh, it's just 2006. 2006. OK, so this is the 21st century and a major Hollywood film has a dude straight up punching a lady in the face <laughs> and calling her mm -hmm. a bitch. And it's not. And, and nobody in charge of the studio was like, you understand that half the world's population is a woman, right? And this movie <laughs> seems built to piss them off. If oh, you showed well. this movie right now, it would get banned. They would not show this shit on TV. With all the shit we've got dealing with all the celebrities, you know, punching women out and shit. You showed this part right now. Oh, that'd be great. Someone but, posted something. Let's start a rumor about Nicolas Cage that he punched a bitch out while he was drunk and in a bear suit. <laughs> That that should be Ray Rice's defense is like I was watching the Wicker Man. You have to call up his defense. He can get out of this with that. I don't know that he's going to get away with it, but I'd like to see the Wicker Man put on trial for a minute. 
God. Oh, yeah, it's is just, it's just really, really, really bad. And you don't take our word for it. In fact, don't even watch it. Please don't watch it. So, guys, that, that brings to conclusion the, all my top 10 worst horror remakes. So, just to refresh your memory, we're going to do a quick countdown. So, at number 10 was 13 Ghosts. At number 9 was The House on Haunted Hill. At number 8 was The Hitcher. And number seven was Nightmare on Elm Street. Number six, Prom Night. Number five, Black Christmas. Number four, Psycho. Number three, The Haunting. Number two, The Fog. And at number one, with a motherfucking bullet, The Wicker Man. So, we're going to take a very short break. We're going to compose ourselves. You're going to hear some promos and the trailer for number one on the best horror remakes list is, of course, 1982's The Thing. We're going to be right back after this. Hey kids, do you like horror movies? Do you like podcasts? Do you like people called Gil and Roscoe? If you do, you're going to love Gil and and Roscoe's Bodacious Horror Podcast! Every week, you'll join your hosts Gil and Roscoe who'll discuss a range of topics including juice drinks, alcoholic drinks, lollipops, bobby socks, robocop, uncomfortable chairs, Comfortable chairs. It sounds absolutely nothing like our podcast. Um, well, it, it should be a representation of our podcast, so we should start off with the pure cheesy intro and then just uh-huh. be like, actually, no, that, that sounds way too upbeat for us. Yeah. <laughs> we could have some dead classy music in the background and people would think we're really high class gentlemen. We are high class gentlemen. That's just not what our podcast sounds like. Right. So that's Gil and Roscoe's Bodacious Horror Podcast. Look for us on iTunes, Facebook, and Twitter. This is US Station 31. You read me? Found something in the ice. We need some help down here. Can anybody hear me? We found something. We found something. We found something. men have just discovered something. For 100,000 years, it was buried in the snow and ice. Now it has found a place to live, inside, where no one can see it, or hear it, or feel it. I know I'm human. Some of you are still human. This thing doesn't want to show itself. It wants to hide inside an imitation. It'll fight if it has to, but it's vulnerable out in the open. If it takes us over, and it has no more enemies. Nobody left to kill it. And then it's one. You guys gonna listen to Gary? We can beat one of those things! Welcome back. So you've just heard the trailer for 1982's The Thing. 
So, like we've done with all our reviews on these segments, let's talk briefly about the original, The Thing from Another World. It came out in 1951. Um, this movie was directed by Christian... <laughs> Nibai? Is that... I'm Sounds assuming. perfect. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Howard Hawks, the writers were Charles Lederer. Um, and some other folks uh, based on a story called Who Goes There um, the movie starred Margaret Sheridan Kenneth Toby uh, Robert Corthwaite uh, Douglas Spencer James Lung uh, Young sorry Lung that's not right um, and some more folks the synopsis scientists and American Air Force officials fend off a bloodthirsty alien organism while at a remote Arctic Outpost. Now, I have seen this movie. Granted, it was a long time ago, and I didn't rewatch it for the show. Um, my impressions of it, I quite liked it. Um, it's once again like things like we did with the Blob and um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It's from an era where I imagine that had I grown up in that time period and seen this movie, it probably would have scared the shit out of me. Um, it certainly did to John Carpenter. It's one of the reasons he remade it. This movie was the first movie to actually terrify the life out of him when he saw it at the cinema. Um, I think it's, it's, it's a really cool concept, really cool film. Um, however, this is one of the occasions where I'll definitely see right out front the remake uh, is the, oh, so far better. It's unbelievable, but it's almost unfair to pit them against each other. Have either one of you guys seen the original thing from outer, uh, the thing from another world? Sorry. Oh sure. You've not right, um, Bo? What what's your impressions of it? Uh, I like it. I, I think it's a very fun fifties kind of sci-fi uh, horror film. It you know it very famously there's a lot of opening and closing of doors in the movie which is <laughs> yeah. kind of kind of funny once somebody points it out to you I think it was Romero who who pointed that out but <laughs> yeah it's it's really fun I really like the way that Carpenter incorporates some images from the original into the remake to uh, sort of provide a bit more connective tissue um, I've also read the short story that it's based on which is Who Goes There by John W Campbell. Mm -hmm. which is much closer to Carpenter's film than the Howard Hawks movie. Um, but it's good. It's it's well done. I mean, it's basically about a giant space carrot that terrorizes an Arctic base. And, you know, take that as you will. He doesn't look like a, a carrot, but that's what he is. And, I mean, he's a vegetable creature. Uh, and... You know, there's some iconic stuff in it, uh, for sure. James Arness plays the monster... Mm -hmm. who went on to uh, to being Gunsmoke. So uh, it's kind of notable for that reason as well. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a perfectly entertaining movie. If it came on, you know, a Saturday afternoon uh, feature, then you can kick back and watch it and have a great time with it. But, you know, it's not the best movie ever made, unlike another movie we're going to talk about. <laughs> well, yeah. So let's fast forward to 1982. And I will go out on a record right now and say that the thing is not only... Well, it, it kind of it, it's in a position that and The Shining kind of jostle for my favourite horror movie of all time, um, and just depending on what my mood is, uh, sometimes it's The Thing, sometimes it's The Shining. Um, it's more often The Thing than it is The Shining, but not only looking at that, out with that, 
The thing I would comfortably say, even looking at any genre, I would say the thing is probably my favourite movie ever made. I genuinely think it is one of the most effective pieces of cinema ever. I just absolutely love it. So there was never any doubt, if you've been keeping score on the countdown of the best, there was never any doubt that the thing is at number one. And this show is not reinventing the wheel here. I would imagine that there will be umpteen lists online where people talk about the best horror remake ever, the thing will be probably about one or two. And if it's not at one, you know, if it's not at one, then I would imagine the fly would be at number one, which was my number two. So I mean, I'm not, I'm not really giving anyone any new information here, things that you don't know. Um, the thing really just is an absolute masterclass of cinema. So taking all that into account, it was directed by John Carpenter. When Carpenter was just an absolute fucking boss, um, the movie um, was it, well. It's the same sort of the writers, Bill Lancaster, all the other folk that were involved. Um, the movie starred Kurt Russell, Wilford Brimley. Uh, Bo, do you want to give us a Wilford Brimley impression? I'm all right. I want to <laughs> come inside. <laughs> I'm not gonna hurt anybody. Thank you, thank you very much. Uh, T.K. Carter, uh, David Clennon, Keith David, um, Peter Maloney, uh, Donald Moffat, just loads of really good uh, character actors and actors. Um, the synopsis, scientists in the Antarctic are confronted by a shape-shifting alien that assumes the appearance of the people that it kills. So, uh, Danny... The yes, thing, we, we, we talk about it loads as just like um, like a, an absolute tour de force of fucking horror cinema. Um, tell me your opinion on the thing. Um, well, I'm, I'm up there with you. This, this one definitely sets near the top of my favorite list. Um, it's the atmosphere of this thing. It's just the and it's like we've said a hundred times before. There's certain things that we always argue for. To bring back to horror, if you really, really want to get things churning again, and one of those is practical effects, and this mm. is so loaded with the practical effects. And you know what I really think, and, and you know, John Carpenter always got, he's got his quirky little way of always doing these small little things right that end up being such huge mountains in the long run, right? And so the thing with this one that I really like is, you know, when you see the creature, the practical effects of the creature are terrifying, and I mean that embeds into your head. But what really, really sticks out is the facial expressions of the people in the movie that are seeing this creature, and they just do it so well. They played up so well that look of like that very Lovecraftian disgust, and you can't comprehend what you're seeing right now. And it adds to how scary it is what we're seeing because mm -hmm. we're just like, if they can't comprehend this, then you know my, this is just—it's outrageous, you know. And the movie did such a good job with all the uh, just the you know the the human element, and that's always what really uh, the other thing that we really yell for in horror that that human element where you turn on one another and you don't know who is and who isn't, and it just I mean I mean this this movie inspired like one of the better episodes of what the X Files later on. I yeah. mean it was a like it, I mean it was almost exactly like this. It's exactly what they were doing except for all the really cool shit you know in the thing. But I mean they copied it you know the story completely. I mean, it's, uh, I don't know. There's so many good things you can say about this movie. I mean, 
I, I you know, I don't, I don't want to sit here and, and blab about. It. I, I don't know where, to <laughs> you know, but I mean, practical effects. That 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 one and just the, the facial expressions. I those are the two things. You know, like I said, there's millions of things about this movie, and I'm sure you guys will definitely cover them. But the two things that really stick out to me is the practical effects and and just the reactions of the actors in the movie of of how uncomprehendable, you know, these things are that they're looking at. It's mm-hmm. just small thing but it, it pays off for me in the end go all right here's what's great about this movie <laughs> you get a feeling that Bo is pretty much that, that that all right was pretty much pull up an armchair get your comfy slippers on uh, and go to the school of Bo. Bo, uh, I, I have three movie posters hanging on my walls one is evil dead 2 one is uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, and the other one is The Thing. And The Thing is not just my favorite horror movie. It's one of my favorite movies ever made because, it, like Danny was saying, it gets all the little things right. It, it establishes characters very quickly that you are that are immediately discernible. You know, that there's not just like, okay, who is this guy again? And y- you you really understand very quickly who everyone is what they're doing at the station um what their what their roles are what their relationships are with one another uh the rivalry that exists between mccready and childs and all that stuff mm-hmm. so it gets that right it looks beautiful it is so beautifully shot um the the scenes with the dog particularly the the shot of the dog walking down the hall and then dipping into the doorway that's all a one shot is either just a a stroke of incredible good luck or patience on the part of John Carpenter to get that just right because that dog looks like it knows where the fuck it's going and what it's doing. Mm-hmm. Um it, the mystery of the the Swedes, they're Norwegians, um <laughs> that you know are trying to kill the dog. Like it sets up that initial mystery so well that by the time you get the reveal of the thing, which doesn't happen super late in the movie, I mean, this movie kicks into gear pretty quickly, um, that when you see the reveal of what the thing is and when it starts whipping tentacles at all the dogs and shooting stuff at it, uh, you know, the goo at, at some of them and that kind of thing. And then when it busts up through the top of the, the, the kennel and you're just like, what the hell is going on in this movie? Like the first time you see it and realize oh, there are no more rules in terms of what this thing's going to look like. It's not going to be a movie where, you know, a crab monster attacks a bunch of people, and that's what you're dealing with the whole movie. It, You know, and and so once you've established that, and then you start to delve into the notion of, oh, it could be any of us. And this movie may be better than any other film I've ever seen, gets paranoia, not just right, but makes it such a central feature of the film mm-hmm. that uh, of not knowing who who is whom and and all that it is it's it's just breathtakingly well done you know the the practical effects like Danny was saying are maybe as good as there have ever been in a film uh i i can't think off the top of my head of a movie that i would point to and say oh there are better practical effects in this movie versus the thing. I think it may be the best ever with the exception of something like the transformation in American werewolf or Mm -hmm. something like that. But even then you're like, okay, that's one scene. This movie has effects throughout and they're all creative and they're all interesting. 
and 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 kind of absurd. I like the sense of humor that the movie has, whether it's the you know, you gotta be fucking kidding me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a just a, a well delivered line, and uh, and McCready is a great sort of central character because he just kind of doesn't give a shit from the beginning of the movie, and then once he's forced to. And and has to start making some pretty critical decisions. He seems to be comfortable with that, but also, you know, there's the tension with the other guys in the group, but he doesn't trust any of them. And I love one of my favorite scenes in the movie is actually him after they've locked him out, thinking that he's been gotten by the thing when he's got the dynamite and the flamethrower and is all frosted up. And it's just like, I'll blow us all the fuck up. I don't care. <laughs> like, I have, I have zero uh affiliation with this base or you fuckers anymore you know i'm i'm in this for mccready from here on out and yeah it's you know the blood test like every scene in this movie i love that i don't think there's a a wrong note really hit the only complaint i really have with it is that uh i think some of the stop motion work isn't terribly great but that was kind of acknowledged by carpenter and a lot of that stuff got cut out of the uh, the final film and it works well enough in this movie uh, to get away with it. But then you get to the ending with McCready and Childs and I love the ambiguity of the, of the ending of this movie. And mm-hmm. I, I love going on the internet and seeing what, what theories people have, have come up with like, Oh, well here's how, you know, Childs is the thing. And Oh, here's how, you know, McCready is really the thing. And maybe neither one of them are, maybe they both are, you know, it's, it's just fantastic. I, there is not anything about this movie that I don't genuinely love from the intent to the execution to, uh, the, the final resolution of the film, which is no resolution at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just think it works so well. And it, and it's, you know, like you were saying about the Wicker Man, of, of having an ending that is really dark, where the good guys kind of don't win. Mm-hmm. And, and this, I, I almost think, is the evolution of that notion of, I don't know if the good guys win. Yeah, 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 that's right, yeah. I mean, one, one thing, um, one thing, I mean, because guys are pretty much covered everything, but um, one thing I, I would say as well is the score in this movie. Yeah. Uh, oh, fucking the score. Um. Oh, I, I, yeah. I. I think that 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 boom boom. That yeah. Shit. Oh, that's yeah. Sucks. That's uh Ennio Morricone, as a matter of fact. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and I just oh, you know, it's things like that. It's the it's the the attention to absolutely every aspect of this movie that just makes. It, I mean, it's so difficult to poke holes in. It really is. And I, to be honest, I don't want to poke holes in it. Um. I think like you have such as like Bo was saying, the character development is handled very. I, I appreciate horror movies that will find very very quick and efficient ways of getting character development done and out of the way. So and you know that's my that's my thing. Um, so I mean, this movie does it probably better than than pretty much any movie out there in that in the first couple of minutes you're meeting these characters you know that they, they don't really get along but they have to get along because they work together and it's a remote place and you get an idea and a sense of the people's personalities just from just from uh, their appearance the, the way they walk the way they talk very very quickly concise and that's it done 
love that. Absolutely love that. So, I mean, and this movie does it great. I think you then, you then jump on and uh, you then start talking about things like, we were already saying, the practical effects. The practical effects are phenomenal in this movie. Arguably the best that, you know, I mean, Stuart Gordon famously said that after seeing this movie, after seeing The Thing, he knew that the project that he wanted to do next, which was, um, at the time it was Reanimator, he knew that he had to raise his game. He knew instantly he had to raise his game because anything less than than thing level effects wouldn't do it just wouldn't do people would be, you know, people would see right through it yeah um, it, well it's like in, in today's world we live in that post screen post cabin in the woods world where if you're going to do a meta kind of movie you have to acknowledge that those movies exist yeah yeah and, definitely and and same way you know like whether whether you're talking about just purely the practical effects of the thing or, or the fact that it integrated them so seamlessly within the action of the film, and and in a way that almost takes it for granted that the effects are that good. You know, yeah. it's not just. I, I mean, there are certainly showpiece effects in this movie, but there's never a point where it feels like I'm just watching this scene to see the effects guys show off. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. Yeah, totally. Um, this movie has two things that happen in it which when i saw it once again at a, at a very young and impressionable age terrified the fuck out of me absolutely because i never knew i remember watching this movie with my older brother and him um, sitting on the couch and it was dark it was there was, it must have been towards the the kind of christmas time sort of thing it was kind of dark early and sitting them um, watching this and the sequence where they tried to use a defibrillator and the stomach just opens into teeth and oh, rips the guy's arms off from the elbows. And then you see him pull his arms out and then start waving them about. And I'd never seen anything like that before in my entire life. And it freaked me the fuck out. Absolutely freaked me the fuck out. And then the sequence, the second one, was when they're all uh, they're all tied up on the bench. And they're working through all the blood samples. And then, of course, one of them turns out to be... It's the one you don't think out of the group turns out to be the thing. And then he starts transforming. And the guys are stuck and they are screaming. Screaming. I mean, you the fear, the capture, the acting in that is phenomenal. Screaming in fear to be to be set free from being tied to this chair, chair with this monster. It, it was ter- absolutely terrifying. Um, I love the open ending. I think the open ending in this movie is pretty much one of the best open endings ever, um, because it's so so subtle, so simple, and it's something which stays with you afterwards. And like you say, Bo, there are pages upon pages on the internet um, of theories, even going down to the minutia, uh, the detail of, well, you know, one of them you can't see their breath, so they're the alien. <laughs> you right, know what I mean? Right. And, it's, and you could argue that. You, there's, I've, I've heard plenty of arguments the other way. Um, I think that's fascinating as well. Um, I think this, uh, to me, and on some level, I kind of feel a little bit sorry for Carpenter because he really delivers a movie which you you could probably argue is his masterpiece. Um, And it it took a long time for people to kind of grasp it, a a long time for, for people, the people that he wanted to get it, to get it. 
Um, horror fans, I think, embraced it pretty quick. But, you know, the the critical acclaim that he really wanted and never got from this movie. And you can maybe look at that. Maybe that's what shaped his career after that. He became less interested in trying to really win people over or critics over and more at doing what John Carpenter did. And he has a very cynical nature anyway as a, as a filmmaker. He's an incredibly intelligent man. Um, and But part of me is kind of glad that this movie never became a fucking huge movie. You know what I mean? Because it is something that is for horror fans, and I think we hold on to it dearly, and you have to pry it from our cold, dead hands. Yeah. Um, the fact that other people aren't necessarily singing its praise all the time, right? Well, shame on them for not seeing it. But I'm I'm pretty cool with that. You know, I I, I quite like that idea. Um, I think it. I genuinely think it is one of the best films ever made. Um, and it's, there's no competition here when it came to my my top list of remakes that it's set at number one. I think this movie is about as perfect as cinema gets. Oh, it, speaking of, just one more scene that I like to point out because <laughs> yeah. it's like, oh my god, this is so good. Um, <laughs> so one of one of the the scenes that I remembered after first seeing the movie that really stuck with me actually wasn't one of the effect scenes. It's the scene where they go to the Norwegian camp and they're touring the uh, just all, all the wreckage left behind. Mm-hmm. And there's the guy with the who has clearly slashed his own wrists, which have formed these bloody icicles going oh, through the floor. Yeah. And there's that that sense of if suicide is the better option, what really happened here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just drives this sense of curiosity. And I I think you're right. Uh, You mentioned this earlier, but it is a very Lovecraftian movie Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Um, More so than even some films based on Lovecraft's work directly. Yeah. Uh, I would say this is almost more Lovecraftian than Reanimator is, (laughs) and uh, which is odd, but I think probably true. Uh, because you're dealing with this cosmic horror that doesn't give a shit about you, just wants to take you over. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, it, it's weird that we've talked about both this and Invasion of the Body Snatchers, because in both those cases, <laughs> they're movies about the loss of identity and the loss of self, mm-hmm. even though this movie is much more about the paranoia of, are you? It's, it's like if the last scene of Invasion of the Body Snatchers with Donald Sutherland screaming and pointing, like, that is the whole movie of the thing. Yeah. It is that moment of horror of I don't I can't trust anybody around me. And in fact, there's the scene where McReady is recording himself and is saying, you know, no one, no one's no one's sleeping much and nobody trusts anybody anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's that's the whole movie. And there is nothing more horrifying than being surrounded by people and feeling isolated and besieged. Yeah. You know, oh, it's so good. God damn. Yeah. It's amazing. It's, it really, it really is. Um, I, I would, I would be surprised if any of the listeners haven't checked out the thing yet. If you really haven't, then this is. I, I mean, I, I, I'm forever saying things are what I would say are required uh, viewing. If you're a horror fan, you're getting into horror. You're getting into to to. To me, this is required cinema. You know I mean, I think anyone that has an interest in movies at all should be shown the thing. I think it is 
it is a snapshot of when everything goes perfect. You know, it's a snapshot of when practical effects are probably at their peak. It's a snapshot of when when you can take such a nihilistic... I mean, it is one of the most bleak, nihilistic films ever made. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it just it works. It works. At no point do I feel cold to the events that are happening, even though... I mean, well, excuse the pun. Uh, even <laughs> though... You know what I mean? Obvious pun. <laughs> but... Um, I, I mean, I care for I care for McCready. I care for characters, and when when it goes the way it goes, it's just ah. Uh, I, I, I mean, it is, it's just a phenomenal movie, and it is rightly positioned at number one on my list. If there's anything you want to say, Bo, before I do my countdown of what my top ten were, the floor is yours, sir. I no other than just to say thanks for having me on for two of these. Yeah, and and especially the thing. Oh my god. Oh my god. The thing. <laughs> It, and like, like Duncan was saying, if I can just reemphasize this very quickly, if you've never seen The Thing or if it's a movie that you, you haven't seen in a decade and remember like, oh, yeah, yeah, The Thing was really good, go back and watch it again. That movie rewards you with every viewing mm. that, that you give it because there's always a little detail that you'll pick out. Yeah. And it's it's so smartly done. So, yeah, what absolutely the best remake of all time, except maybe The Fly because you can make that argument. Yeah, yeah, well, we did, we did in the previous episode, but I, I think, I think this just nips it. I think it just, it just beats it out. And yeah, that is obviously a personal. All, all these ones have been personally selected uh, by myself. So I dare say there has been a bit of, uh, a bit of people saying, oh, I wouldn't really say that's that bad of a remake, or I would have said that you've got that way too high. Another one. At the end of the day, it's just my opinion, and uh, I've been blessed that podcasters have come on and, and chatted to me about it and people have dug it so let me give you the countdown then so at number 10 was the night of the living dead remake at number nine was the house of wax remake and number eight was the crazies at number seven was mother's day at number six dawn of the dead and number five the blob at number four was maniac at number three was invasion of the body snatchers at two was the fly and then closing in at number one best horror remake of all time as selected by the podcast under the stairs The Thing we're going to take a very short break when we come back from that myself and Bo are going to be closing out the show um, Danny unfortunately got called away halfway through the review um, if you were wondering why you haven't heard him in a bit he's, he's uh, unfortunately he's, he's doing stuff for his work at the moment so he, he, he has sent his, uh, his farewells and thank yous already uh, which we'll re- reiterate out there remember and check out the Midnight Horror Show for more of Danny um, we're going to take a short break we'll be right back after this almost midnight enough time for one more story warning the Midnight Horror Show is not safe for work and is definitely not for the faint of heart the following is a small sample of what you'll hear live every Wednesday night at 7 at allradiox.com I ain't heard from you shitheads for fucking years. Now, Webula, we do this thing that's called a live radio show on the internet. And so there's people that interact with us. Yeah, they're listening and responding to us right now in real time. Who, who, who's talking shit? <laughs> fuck, Somebody's talking shit? Someone named Fuckface. And so then, fuck you, Fuckface. <laughs> oh, you think we'll go off on tangents <laughs> on the Midnight Horror Have show? you ever listened to this show before, Mark? <laughs> he was masturbating into the... The corpse of a fucking beheaded fish. Fucking uh, nasty motherfucker. <laughs> we're gonna end the show on corpse fucking this time, apparently. Anytime you talk about necrophilia, you're talking, it's gonna take a certain kind of person to watch it. 
That's, that's a charmed life. Fuck you. <laughs> you can hear the Midnight Horror Show live at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time every Wednesday night at allradiox.com or download the show on iTunes, Podomatic, or at the allradiox.com page. You're listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. And welcome back. So you've been listening to episode number 40 of the podcast Under the Stairs, where we have closed out our top 10 best and worst horror remakes selected by yours truly. The show featured reviews of The Wicker Man from 2006 in the worst category. I mean, as if it was going to be in the worst. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't need to emphasise that. Um, and The Thing in the best category from 1988. To. Thank you very much to my uh, guest, Mr. Bo Ransdell. I hope you enjoyed yourself chatting about these movies. Oh, absolutely, man. I mean, it, it, it is the two extremes of thought. It is one of the worst movies I've ever seen and and the best one of the best movies I've ever seen. So it's it's good to stay humble. <laughs> and not just watch great movies sometimes. Yeah, I, I think I, like the, if anything, this segment, this this segment that I, I've done for the last ten weeks has shown me that you know every now and again to to uh, to understand how things work, you have to see how things don't work. Um, and I think that's I think that's been the, the kind of one of the telling things here. Yet some of these movies have been lumped into the bad category just because they haven't aged well, and maybe that's an unfair thing for me to do to movies like House on Haunted Hill, where the the CGI is really bad, really, really, really bad. But there are elements of that movie that are really good. I know there was a lot of people questioning why certain slasher remakes. Uh, didn't make the top list um, or movies that they know I've bitched about before like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and stuff like that I don't necessarily I mean I think they're just a given um, and I don't necessarily some of them you could argue yeah they're, they're maybe they're they're poorly made but the, the effects are excellent and the acting's really good so I was trying to pick things with a broader base of what the fuckery? Um, and <laughs> right, right. I, I, hopefully, I have captured that. As always, you can make comment on that. If there's any movies you think I missed from my my top ten list on either side, um, then leave us uh, some feedback on the Facebook page. If you're not on the group, type in the top search bar "podcast under the stairs" and come across to the closed group. Alternatively, you can email me, like my good buddy Christian does, uh, on podcast under the stairs at gmail um, and you can speak to me there. I'm pretty good with my emails. I'll, I'll tend to come back to you fairly quick. Um, so yeah, so that that segment's now finished, um, and the Argento round table's now up. And you're probably wondering to yourself, what does that mean for the podcast under the stairs? Well, let me tell you what it means. It means that you now have five weeks of Baz v Halloween to look forward to. Throughout the month of October, each week we will be doing one of the Paranormal Activity movies coupled with one of my choices. The next episode to come up will be Paranormal Activity 1 and The Mist. So that should be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to that show going up. After that, we will have a special one-year anniversary show for Baz v Horror. Um, closing out that first year of that segment and then when we return the week after that um, it's podcast Under the Stairs version 2 uh, everything will be changed things will be different uh, the, I can <laughs> will be Irish 
I will be Irish. The, the, the sky will be green. The grass will be blue. Uh, left will be right. Up is down. Um, Dogs you know, and cats living together. Mass hysteria. <laughs> pretty much. Uh, things will be different. There'll be a lot of things getting added in and some elements be taken away. But as always, I will be here with special guests to chat about what everyone wants to hear when listening to a horror podcast, which is horror movies. Um, so, Bo... Uh, if you would like to remind the, the listeners just before we close out the show uh, where people can be checking out your works. Yeah, uh, really for everything, go to legionpodcasts.com. Um, there you can find this show and Devour the Podcast and Graveshift Radio, which is really kind of Devour the Podcast after dark. It's just dirtier. <laughs> a lot dirtier. Uh, and then Duncan and Vogue come correct and Tons of other stuff, uh, but yeah, uh, and drop drop us a line there. Um, if you have any questions about the show, uh, the shows you're listening to, or uh, the website or anything like that, you can actually just email me at bo, just B-O, at legionpodcast.com. So, uh, yeah, there you have it. Thanks, man. I, I, I am so pleased to get to share a couple of episodes with with remakes because I'm one of those uh, one of those people that isn't knee jerk upset about remakes in general, mm-hmm. and I've enjoyed seeing what you pick because uh, there are a couple of movies that you've chosen for the uh, the worst that probably would not have made my list, mm-hmm. um, but there are a couple of movies on the the best list that wouldn't have been there, but after hearing you talk about it. I'm like, oh yeah, House of Wax is it probably does belong there, because um, <laughs> uh, I enjoy that movie probably more than anyone should. So. Yeah, I'm the, I'm the same. I, I genuinely, when I put that on my list, I thought I'm going to get a lot of hate for this, and then for some reason, I'll, I I actually got the opposite. I got a lot of people saying, yeah, right, that's a good remake, and I don't, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a a, a great remake, but there's a lot in that movie that I'm like, oh, that's cool. Oh, I really like, I I really like the fact that you really committed to the set design on this movie. It's fucking awesome. So, uh, yeah, the yeah. plot's kind of dopey, but it it makes up for it with being a little bit, uh, a word that I used to describe. Uh, uh, the Wicker Man in a negative way, and this is a positive way, but it's a little mean spirited, in the sense that it's like, oh, we're going to be kind of gruesome, and and House of Wax is one of the gory. If you've never seen the remake of House of Wax, you will be amazed at how gory that movie really is. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, oh, yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's it's been an interesting, it's been an interesting experiment. Um, we basically in the first year of the podcast, we have done two top ten lists. Um, we did our top 10 uh, best British horror movies um, of all time and that was towards the end of last year, towards the end of 2013 we've obviously done this list Um, I will probably do one next year Um, I don't know what it will contain I haven't really thought of that yet but I'll probably do another one they're always good fun to do and they're a a good way to break up um, you know, just reviewing movies it's a good chance to go back and uh, review some older ones um, but yeah, it's been a lot of fun, and hopefully, um, you guys out there really enjoyed this segment. Uh, once again, thank you to all my guest hosts that took part on these shows. Uh, to Ryan Lewis from Grave Chef Radio, Gary Hill from 
uh, a ton of shows which I, 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 it's late I can't remember them all <laughs> so um, Gil Rokitansky from the Bedacious Horror Podcast with Gil and Roscoe um, Jamie Jenkins uh, from equally a large number of podcasts not uh, familiar yeah, not familiar don't know who she is uh, Danny Trioxen from the Midnight Horror Show who was on for most of the show, unfortunately, I got called away. Um, we've also had, I'm getting the feeling I've missed someone, Corey Graham uh, joined us, which was an absolute hoot. Uh, it's always good to chat to Corey, so a massive thanks to him as well. I think I've covered everyone. If I have forgotten Johnny Krug? Someone. Johnny Krug, thank you. Johnny Krug, how can I forget Johnny Krug? Johnny Krug, which, that was one of my favourite, me and him talking prom night is probably one of the funnest things, it was up there with the Wicker Man discussion we had just now, just an absolute blast chatting with that guy, um, and obviously Bo Ransdell, my guest uh, thanks very much to all those guys that made this segment possible um, so I mean, there's nothing else I need to say Bo, uh, would you like to say goodbye to the listeners? Yeah, goodbye listeners except for Danny who bailed out <laughs> He doesn't listen to this show anyway. I'm only joking, Danny. Love you. Um, so yeah, uh, kisses. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to be speaking to him basically within 24 hours. I do the midnight horror show. It's two late nights in a row. My God. Yeah. yeah I'm going to be a zombie at my work on Thursday. Um, but yeah, and um, I just want to say just at the, at the end of the show here that this show was recorded just momentarily after my birthday. Um, I got about a hundred and thirty Facebook comments today with people wishing me happy birthday and some some personal messages and people even over on the Facebook page of the podcast and the stairs page wishing me happy birthday and I got an absolutely lovely uh, voice recording from Jamie Jenkins as well wishing me my happy birthday and thanks very much guys you uh, have made an what would have been an otherwise quite boring Tuesday um, a bit brighter um, and uh, much love to everyone out there until the next time I speak to you though take care of yourselves out there uh, remember you can follow us on Facebook on Twitter at tputzcast um, go follow the Baz he's called Punk Baz because um, you'll be posting quite a lot over the next month uh, so take care of yourselves out there I will speak to you all very very soon this is Duncan from Podcast Under the Stairs saying bye <laughs>